Good morning. Uh, I don't have the preaching attitude, uh, ability quite of Chad and Heath and Caleb in that I'm not able to go forever without needing water. I get caught in the mouth really bad when I teach. Uh, singing is not really a problem, but you usually see me with this up here when I sing. So uh, if I pause, just take that as the Lord's providence and, and my personality and my ability. So I'll uh, stop and grab water from time to time as I teach today. But uh, for those of you that, that know me well, you'll know I'm a, I'm a big fan of Marvel movies. I'm going to see each of uh, each of the movies that have come out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe since opening night of uh, Iron Man back in 2008. Uh, since then, it's become quite popular to, to spread spoilers online through social media, uh, to ruin the movie for those who haven't got to see it yet, which is why I go on opening night. Uh, the other night, me and my, uh, my sister Kristen and my, my brother Matt got to go see Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet, Spider-Man No Way Home picks up right where Spider-Man Far From Home, the movie right before it, uh, had left off. Like the, the second it opens, uh, there's, there's a big controversy that happened at the end of Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, and that's where this movie starts. So just like in, in Spider-Man No Way Home, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Uh, so let's, let's read Luke 1, 46 uh, to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Uh, for anyone who was not here last week, um, I, th I think it's helpful for us to just go ahead and cover context of this passage, to think through what has happened before, what is, what is getting ready to happen after, uh, maybe some understanding about this specific passage. Uh, so, you know, as we're approaching this, I just want to make sure that I, I cover that. So one thing we saw last week as Caleb preached, and we'll see again this week, is that Luke is uh, the only one of the four Gospels that specifically lifts up and recognizes uh, the role of women uh, prominently throughout his Gospel. We see Mary featured much more prominently throughout the early chapters of Luke uh, than we see when, when the story of the Incarnation is told through the other three Gospels. Uh, we see Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and, and Mary the mother of James mentioned by name in Luke 24 when Jesus reveals himself to them after being resurrected. In every other Gospel, Mary Magdalene is the only woman consistently mentioned, and uh, even when she's mentioned, the emphasis is always on the disciples. I've spent the last months searching for an answer as to, to why Luke specifically lifts up women in his writing, and I haven't found any clear answers. Uh, but I think that we'll see how Luke specifically lifting up women supports the message he's trying to convey in this passage. Uh, again, last week, Caleb walked us through Luke 1, uh, verses 26 to 38, where we saw the birth of Jesus being foretold. We saw Mary's faith in God and, and our trust in his plans. And we saw that God would send a Messiah, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, through his faithful servant and Virgin Mary, to bring salvation to all who would believe in him. Uh, we'll see next week, 
uh, as we celebrate the day after Christmas, as, as Heath leads us, the prophecies of, uh, that have been mentioned of, of both Jesus and John the Baptist being fulfilled. Uh, at this time, this does not happen. Uh, this is right after, uh, like I said, we picked up uh, right where we left off last week. This is right after Gabriel has appeared to Mary. Mary's going to be with Elizabeth. She's immediately um, obeying and, and going over uh, to visit with Elizabeth and spending time while they're both awaiting the birth of their sons. For the Magnificat, the song of Mary that we see in this passage that I just read for us, um, many of us are not going to have the same familiarity with the Magnificat as those from other churches such as the, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, the, the Lutheran Church, and others uh, might have. The song has been a part of their liturgies or their, their orders of service, the, the way they go through their service uh, for, for centuries. And this has been something that uh, has been common in, in their Vespers for, for a long time in, in Mass as they gather. Uh, so this song would be something that they would know uh, much more uh, with much more familiarity than, than we do now. Uh, for both of us uh, growing up in this area uh, and, and being a Southern Baptist church here, we don't have that same familiarity. So I just want to make sure that we have a little bit of understanding of, of the history of this song. Uh, the Magnificat gets its name from the Latin translation of the first line of Mary's song, Magnificat anime mea dominum, or my soul magnifies the Lord. And we, we just sang this as Caleb and Catherine led us this morning. If Mary was, was the mother of one of the disciples, we may have a record of her in a, in a passing verse, but her name would not be so well re, uh, recorded as it is in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke's the only Gospel in which we see this portion of the story of the Incarnation told. Uh, why is this? What, what is the significance of, of Mary's story being told here, uh, with the focus being on Mary, but not in the other three Gospels? Uh, I think... I think we'll see that as, as we walk through this passage today. We know that Luke's purpose in, in writing this gospel was to assure the Gentiles that what they had been taught was not some new religion, but it was actually the fulfillment of what we would today consider Judaism. It would be the fulfillment of all the Jews had known from their God up to that point. It would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament of God's promises and a continuation thereof. He also seeks to help his readers understand God's plan and the Jews' rejection of Jesus as the Messiah and the welcoming in of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. I believe that Luke includes the, the Magnificat in his gospel as a means to accomplish his purpose in writing. As this story focuses heavily on God's faithfulness, the fulfillment of his promises, the trust we can have in the Lord, and humanity's utter humility and dependence on him. Our main idea today is going to be magnify the Lord and rejoice in Him because of His faithfulness and mercy. I think you'll see this weaved throughout this passage. Uh, so before we, we dive into the Magnificat, I, I want to make sure that we uh, go back through the passage that Mary read for us as it transitions from last week to this week, and I think it really sets the grounds for the Magnificat and the importance there. Uh, so the first thing that we're going to see in this portion of the passage is Mary and Elizabeth's faith. Uh, we see here that, that Mary obeys God's implicit command through Gabriel to go see Elizabeth. We find Mary hastily making her way to her cousin Elizabeth's house to visit her after being told that Elizabeth, old in age, is going to bear a son and is six months pregnant. We continue to see the reputation of Mary's faithfulness to the Lord uh, being built up here. While it's not explicitly stated, it is implied that Gabriel was telling Mary to go be with Elizabeth in verse 36. So we pick up here in verse 39 and, and see Mary going to be with Elizabeth. We see in, in verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also 
uh, conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. And this is in the midst of, of Gabriel explaining all that was to come, all that was going to happen, and, and how nothing would be impossible with God. So we see Mary understand that Gabriel is telling her this for a reason, that there is a purpose here. So she goes to be with Elizabeth. Next we see that um, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and declares Jesus is Lord. When, when Elizabeth is greeted by Mary, her baby John leaps in her womb. Elizabeth is then filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaims that, that Mary is blessed among women, and the fruit of her womb is blessed. She declares that Mary is the mother of her Lord, being the first person in the New Testament to be recorded as recognizing Jesus as the Christ, not Peter. In Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17, we see this pivotal interchange between Jesus and Peter recorded. This is the, the first time that one of the disciples shows an understanding of who Jesus truly is. Uh, read with me. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, God reveals to us, through his Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. He makes this known to us just as he made it known to Elizabeth while she was filled with the Holy Spirit, just as he revealed it to Peter. Jesus himself would later tell us in, in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He freely gives himself to, to Elizabeth through the Holy Spirit to know the Father just as he has made a way for us to know him today. Next we see that Mary is praised by Elizabeth for her faith and the, and the blessing of being the mother of Jesus Christ. Elizabeth recognizes that Mary will be highly regarded amongst women as the earthly mother of the Messiah. The honor that is to be bestowed on Mary is not lost on Elizabeth. So she praises Mary for her faithfulness and for her trust in God. She encourages Mary and rejoices with her. But we need to be careful not to, to place emphasis on Mary where the scripture does not place emphasis on her. Mary is praised for her faithfulness, yes, but more weight is given to the coming of the Lord Jesus. The majority of the attention in this passage is focused on the coming of the Messiah, not on Mary herself. And we see in verse 42 that Elizabeth blesses the fruit of Mary's womb. We see in verse 43 that Elizabeth is grateful that the mother of her Lord is with her. We see in verse 45 that Elizabeth praises Mary for believing God that he would fulfill his promises. If we are yet still unsure, we need to look no further than how Mary responds to this praise. Mary points to the Lord and rejoices in God, her Savior. Would most of us react in this way? We see Mary being praised by Elizabeth, even with the knowledge that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit while praising Mary for her faith and blessing, turn to God and rejoice in Him. I doubt most of us can honestly say that that would be our reaction. Most of us would be inclined to, to be much more prideful. Uh, we do this with much less consequential things. We brag about a child or a grandchild uh, playing for a sports team or getting into a certain college. Uh, we slide into a conversation about how much our spouse works or earns at their job. And we try to act as though uh, a new car is not a big deal when at home we are acutely aware of how much of a blessing it's been to our family. 
I doubt that for many of us, our reaction would be to immediately turn to God and praise Him for the truth that was just proclaimed over us in every instance. But that's the example we're given to follow. We're challenged to, to lead lives that overflow with the good news of the gospel. And we are to be a people set apart for God to be the light into the darkness around us. So how do we do this? How do we exercise this faith that we have by knowing the truth of the word of God? We do this simply by following the example Mary displays. You see, we, we've seen how Mary and Elizabeth's faith in the word, their, their trust is, is rooted in their knowledge of the scriptures and, and the prophecies that have come before. They're familiar with what we now call the Old Testament. So when Gabriel approaches Mary, she never doubts this is going to happen because it has been foretold in such detail that she knows this is the fulfillment of what God has promised, which helps her, her trust in the Lord, her faith in the Lord, helps her to have a right posture. You see, Mary immediately turns and, and magnifies the Lord in her life. And that's what we do. As believers, we, we magnify the Lord. We see in verse 46 that immediate, immediately Mary turns to praise God for his character, for who he is, for what he has done. She praises him for his steadfast mercy and faithfulness. Uh, throughout the Gospel of Luke so far, Mary has already displayed that she magnifies the Lord in her life. She's garnered favor with the Lord. When Gabriel told Mary God's plan to use her, her only response was, How will this be since I am a virgin? As Caleb said last week, she merely asked a logistical question. Uh, but she doesn't doubt God. We saw this last week, and we'll see here again, that, that Mary trusts in the Lord and seeks to glorify Him through her obedience. Again, where does this trust in the Lord come from? It comes from Mary being knowledgeable of the scriptures. She knew of the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah that would save the Lord's people. And Mary shows satisfaction in the Lord, trust in Him. She's comforted by the knowledge of these scriptures. And she is filled with joy and rejoices in her Savior. And Mary rejoices in Him because He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. This is who God is. He is compassionate. As one commentator said, He is close to the broken and lowly. God chose to use a lowly virgin to fulfill his promises. Throughout the Bible, we see time and time again that God chooses to use humble and lowly servants to accomplish mighty things. From establishing the nation of Israel through Abraham to using Moses to deliver his people from Egypt to choosing Mary to be the mother of Jesus to Jesus himself being humble and mounted on a donkey as we see foretold in Zechariah 9.9. Read with me. Rejoice, Greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I think Luke draws special attention to the humble, the, the needy, the hungry, and the lowly throughout his gospel to show how God uniquely uses them for his purposes. In the time Luke was writing, Women did not have the same rights as men. They were of much lower esteem and respect in their culture and in society. So I think Luke draws attention to how God and Jesus favor women in Scripture that we have recorded. You see, we serve a God that uses the humble so that he may be glorified 
and Mary understands this. We see Mary sees herself as blessed amongst the nations. She does not display a false sense of humility, as we can be tempted to do, and Mary is not prideful in her humility, but she recalls what Elizabeth had said in verse 42, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary understands the significance of what is happening, just as Elizabeth did. But we see her turn the attention away from herself and point to the Lord so that he may be glorified in her. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We see here that Mary herself is saying that God is the one who has done great things for her. The holy God has looked on his humble servant And Mary has benefited from a God who is able to have compassion on us, that is able to show mercy, and that chooses to work through us. Mary also understands her blessing is is not because of anything that she has done. We see this in the way that she magnifies the Lord in herself. She seems to understand that the reason she's considered is, again, due to her faith, yes, she's blessed because of her faith, but primarily because of who her child is and is going to be. The reason Mary's name is remembered amongst the generations is because of the significance of her son. Much of her song reflects Hannah's hymn of praise from Samuel 1, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and the parallel is clear. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren is born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. In verse 10, we see the promise of the anointed, or the Messiah, the one that would come to be Emmanuel. God with us, as we saw in Isaiah 7, verse 13. This is the source of Mary's faith in the Lord. She knew that a Messiah was to come and be born in this way. She knew from 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16, that an offspring would come from the line of David. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, she knew that this offspring would defeat the serpent. So when Mary was told by Gabriel what was to happen, she knew this was a fulfillment of these prophecies. God had been faithful to his word. His plan never wavered. He was setting into motion all that had been foretold. God was going to be with us. God himself had been the source of Mary's faith. He had given her, and he has given us, 
all that we need to believe and to trust in him. So with this understanding, Mary exalts God and rejoices in him. How could she not exalt him and rejoice in him? All that had been said was coming to pass, and Mary overflowed in worship of the Lord. God had done and was doing great things for Mary for the purpose of his holiness, and she was going to get to play a part. This had been his plan all along. We know that that God is without sin and cannot even allow sin in his presence or else he would not be a holy God. His plan from the beginning of time has been to uphold his holiness and be glorified. He redeems his people for this purpose so that we may know the one true God and worship him forever. See, this song is not about Mary. The Magnificat is about God and his character. Mary rests and rejoices in the comfort that she is not master over her own life. God is. Mary here is displaying a right understanding of who she is and who God is. Since Mary has a right understanding of who she is in light of who God is, we can trust her song about God. We can trust that it is true. So as we look at God's character, I I think we see it throughout this entire passage. We've seen it over the past two weeks. We will see it again next week in the incarnation of Christ. We have seen his plans work out. We have seen his compassion and his holiness. But I want us to see a few of his characteristics that seem to stand out most throughout this story. God has mercy for those who fear him. And it should cause joy in us as those who do fear him and trust him. We see from generation to generation that his mercy is with us. We have seen that God is compassionate and he sees the humble and the lowly. We have seen that Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light for all who would come to him. As believers, we have this promise that God's mercy is for us even today. God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 17 verses 3 to 8 was for all eternity, not just then. Mary certainly believes this as we see in verse 55, and she's already echoed this in verse 50 as well. She says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In verse 50 she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is an eternal promise and fulfillment. So we can believe this today. The Lord has displayed and continues to display his mercy for his people from generation to generation. How does he do this? He displays his mercy by scattering the proud, by bringing down the mighty, exalting those of humble estate, and sending the rich away empty. We see God's mercy in revealing himself to each of these groups. For the proud, he humbles them. For the mighty, he decreases their might. For the humble, he exalts them. For the rich, he depletes them. God uniquely shows his mercy to each group by displaying, regardless of their circumstance, that he is in control of all things. As one commentator said, it'd be easy to over-spiritualize the meaning of these verses or ignore their literal interpretation. The coming of the kingdom of God should bring about a political and social revolution, bringing the ordinary life of mankind into line with the will of God. As believers, as Christians, the gospel should shine brightly through us. The Lord should be magnified in our lives as it is in Mary's. See, God reminds the proud that they have nothing to boast in except the Lord. 
Their only rightful place is one of humility before him. He decreases the might of the mighty and reminds them of the source of their might. He builds up the humble and reminds them the Lord is the one who makes much or little of us, not this world. He depletes the rich so that they might bless others as he has blessed them. You see, God chooses to work how he sees fit, but he never abandons his mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is who God is. This is, this is who he simply is. He is constant. He is steadfast. He is faithful. And he's about to fulfill his prophecies, and, and we know now today that he did. We have the New Testament. We have record that all that was said had come to pass. See, God is not like us and forgetful of his promises and commitments that he has made. He is steady. He is sure. All that we are reading, the coming of a Messiah who would deliver God's people, has happened already. God delivered in a way that was different than what his people were expecting. It was different than what the Jews thought the Messiah was going to be. But he still delivered. He was true to his word. He delivered the Savior the world needed not the one Israel thought they needed. God did not send an earthly king to deliver Israel from their earthly oppression. Instead, he did something much greater. He sent a king to deliver them from their eternal oppressor, sin. God has remembered his mercy and he has helped Israel throughout the ages. God has orchestrated everything for Israel to this point. He provided their daily bread. He provided prophets to speak to them, to know that God was still watching them, that he was still with them, that he still loved them and cared for them, that he had not forsaken them or abandoned them. He delivered them from their earthly oppression. All of this was done to point to the ultimate act of mercy that God would display. God did not hold us to our sin debt, nor did he hold them, one that we could never repay ourselves anyways. Instead, he sent his son to bear the weight of his wrath for us. And his mercy endures forever. This act of mercy was not a one-time act like the sacrifices of the Old Testament. This sacrifice was permanent and all-encompassing. All who believe in him and his faithfulness will receive this same mercy forever. So if you do not know this good news today, please know that you can receive this mercy from the Lord. We deserve death, yet Christ has taken our sin and death if we will turn and trust in him. Through the cross, we can receive mercy, turn away from an unfulfilling life of sinfulness, and trust in the Lord, find comfort in his mercy and his faithfulness, find everlasting life in him, if you want to, to learn more about how you can receive this mercy, please feel free to, to come and talk with Chad or Heath after the service. Uh, talk to the person that you came with today and ask them to help you understand the gospel and the impact that it has had on their lives. I'm sure that they'll be more than happy to do so. As, as we wrap up, for, for believers, and we apply this text into our lives, how do we do that? How do we apply this passage in our lives? I have a few points for us. Number one, be faithful like Mary and Elizabeth. Have faith in the Lord. Be in his word daily. I believe that each one of us struggles with this at different times throughout our lives. 
We have seasons of easy faithfulness when, when life is good and great and, and everything seems to be going the way that we desire. But then we have seasons where being faithful to the Lord is much more difficult. Where we struggle to understand and comprehend why God is having things play out the way that they are in our life. Regardless, being in His Word daily is equally important in each season. God has made himself known to us through his son, Jesus Christ, the living word. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Next, we posture ourselves like Mary. If we are faithful in the word, our hearts will become molded after Christ. And posturing ourselves like Mary to overflow with praise to the Father will be made our natural response. This doesn't happen immediately as we place our, our trust and belief in Him. All sin does not just disappear. It is not as though we are made perfect. We still will continue to struggle with sin, but the Lord will continue to sanctify us through His Holy Spirit as believers and through His Word, making us more like Christ as we pursue Him you see, Christ's purpose in coming to the earth was to atone for our sins and to make way for sinners to be reconciled to the Father so that we may praise Him forever. Christ Himself glorified the Father with every moment He was here on the earth. If God is making us more like Christ, our first response to the things of this world should increasingly be to praise the Father for who He is and for all that He has done. We will not be perfect in this until we have been glorified with Christ in heaven but as believers, our lives should seem drastically different from the world around us. Next, we remember the Lord's faithfulness. Remember God's mercy. Remember His providence. Remember His holiness. But through all of this, remember His faithfulness. What would God's mercy be if He was not faithful to sustain it? What would His providence be if He was only faithful to His people on occasion? What would God's holiness be if He chose only to be holy some of the time. See, God's faithfulness is one of the most central themes throughout the grand narrative of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God's faithfulness. God is consistent. He is true. He does not waver. He stands strong and He remains who He is at all times. Today we continue to see how the Lord is faithful to His promises. He fulfills all that was foretold, and this should inspire great hope in us. This should give us great joy because Jesus did not just come to the earth once. We know that we have hope in the Lord's second coming. As believers, we know that Jesus has said that he is coming back again. He has ascended to heaven, but he will return. We know that after Christ was born, he went on to live a perfect, sinless life, that he willingly gave himself as the propitiation for our sins. He died on that cross. And he descended to the grave, defeating sin and death, and making way for us to have everlasting life through him. And he rose three days later. Later, He lived for 40 more days and nights here on this earth before sending into heaven. He spent time with the disciples explaining all that had occurred with his resurrection. He foretold what would come to pass after he ascended. We know that he's currently in heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, magnified and glorified as we see here in this passage. 
that we should be magnifying Him and glorifying Him. We know that as His co-heirs, we will be seated there one day as well. We know that Christ said He will come back like a thief in the night, so be ready, church. Live joyfully and expectant that what the Lord has said will come to pass because He has never been wrong before. As the band comes up, I hope the Lord has used this message today to inspire hope and joy in you. As we look forward to Christmas Day this, this Saturday, I hope you're filled with joy as we think about Christ's second coming. I hope that this is not the only time of year that we stop and reflect on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should have a hopeful expectancy throughout each year because we know that He is coming back again to establish the new heaven and the new earth. And let us have joy. And let us pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word and through your scriptures. Father, as we sing, I, I pray that we would so embody the message you have uh, given to us through this passage today. And Father, that we can have joy and hope and trust in you because of your faithfulness, that you have not wavered, that you are the same today, yesterday, and you will be the same forever, that you are the same God who always has been and always will be. Father, I pray that we would magnify you in our song, in our prayer, in our offering, in our daily lives. Father, I pray that Sunday would not be the only time that we talk about you in our lives, that we engage in worship of you. Father, I pray that Christmas would not be the only time each year that we talk about the miracle of the incarnation, of the coming of Christ to, to be fully God and fully man, to die on the cross for us and for his resurrection, for his second coming. Father, I pray that this would not be the only time of the year that we think and we consider and we meditate on these things. Father, I pray that throughout the year that you would help us to have a right posture as Mary did. Fathers, we've seen you lift her high in the scriptures as a model that we should follow. As someone to mimic in the way that we worship you. Father, I pray that you would help us to know this peace and this grace that you have given us by displaying your mercy. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. That we would be a light into the darkness around us. That someone could not help but see us as believers and not be able to question why we act the way that we do, because it is so radically different from the world around us. Father, I pray that we would look weird. I pray that we would look curious, that people would ask us why we are so different. Not because of anything that we are doing, but because you shine so very brightly through us. Father, I pray that you would be magnified and glorified now as we sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.